2: Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby,
0: this is Mary
1: Kay Cabot. and Scott Patsko, and
2: this of course is the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on Cleveland.com. Make sure if you're not subscribed over on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to uh, subscribe to us so these can get delivered right on your phone. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about the last time we talked. It was the night that the news of the Odell Beckham trade broke. Uh, since then, uh, a lot has come out, and if you missed it, go check out Mary Kay's story over on Cleveland.com slash Browns about sort of the inside story story. Uh, of how the Odell-Beckham trade happened, and that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with that story, some of the details in that, something that maybe surprised us uh, about that. The the one thing that I keep kind of coming back to is, you know, a a credit to Jay Glazer, as we kind of have said multiple Mm -hmm. times, you know, when he reports something, you usually need to listen to it, and mm-hmm. so he got to take some victory laps off of that. Of course, you've been beating the Odell Beckham drum since mm-hmm. all the way back in training camp last year, so you got to take some victory laps. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering, though, as you reported that story, what kind of surprised you as, as you as you went through that?
0: Well, I don't know if you would call it a surprise, and it was actually last year at the NFL owners meetings, and I'm getting ready to go to the owners meetings again at the end of this week. But it was last year at the owners meetings when I really started to think. Uh, that the Browns at some point were going to end up with Odell Beckham Jr. And I started to write it uh, at the owner's meetings. I wrote 12 reasons why they should trade for him, then came back again and wrote about it in uh, training camp when I asked Jarvis. It just all seemed to be pointing towards the Browns and Odell Beckham Jr. You've got Dave Gettleman, uh, the the, uh, Giants GM, and John Dorsey sitting together, having coffee at the owner's meetings last year. And, you know, that's when, you know, even John Dorsey started to say, well, you know, we do have Jarvis Landry and his receivers coach. Okay. (laughs) And then you move forward to those guys working out together. Uh, Odell is working out with Jarvis and Baker. Uh, Then you move into uh, Jarvis talking about how Odell actually would want to play here. Then Odell expresses his unhappiness with being in New York on, on a video uh, or on, um, on TV, on ESPN, with Josina and those guys.
1: And Little Wayne. And
0: Little Wayne. And they, they kept <laughs> Adam Henry. So all signs were pointing to the Browns at least going for it, even though John Dorsey said he wasn't going to go for it. All signs were pointing for the last year to him actually going for it. And I think that's what stands out to me, is they have been making plans to see if they can make this happen for a year.
2: I'm still shocked. And and this isn't necessarily directly from the story. I thought it was interesting how quickly it all came together. You you know, obviously, they've been planning it for a while, but then sort of the uh, kind of that let's go moment like, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, they have a chance to pull this together. But I just the thing that still sticks with me is the cost. I, you know, I, I had been saying on here, I've you know, I felt there was no way that Odell Beckham would get traded for less than like two first round picks or mm-hmm. maybe a first and a second or, or something, some sort of compensation like that, especially considering the Browns pick was 17th. Mm-hmm. This isn't like the eighth pick in the draft. Um, so I, I'm still sort of floored by the compensation um, that it took, you know, mm-hmm. two draft picks and Jabril Peppers. And then, of course, a part of that is that Dave Gettleman really kind of wanted to save face. Mm hmm after letting Landon Collins go. And so he saw Jabril Peppers as a guy that, that could come in and, and do that for him. So, you know, kind of their their gap there with, with Landon Collins sort of helped the Browns, I think, and it helped bring the cost down, ultimately.
0: Yeah, I think it was a steal. I think the Browns got a steal for this because I talked to, and I have to go back and put this in my behind-the-scenes thing, I talked to one personnel uh, individual executive in the NFL that said, after number 15, there's not a true first-rounder in this draft. So that really stood out to me, um, that they just didn't feel like they were giving up tremendous, tremendous value at number 17. I'm sure the Giants see it differently. But again, they needed Jabril in this trade because they let Landon Collins walk out the door. Then they ended up with a first-round safety. And I think that Dave Gettleman looked at it like, we need a safety save. In order to make this thing happen, we need him. And I don't think the Browns are worried at all about trying to replace Jabril Peppers.
1: This whole thing from the beginning up until the day it actually happened seemed like it was almost like this conspiracy theory where you had all <laughs> these dots and you start connecting them. You know, well, there's the dinner and then the Browns obviously need somebody and then the, the Giants are unhappy and and you can kind of make it into this thing you want it to become, you know, mm-hmm. and the fans, I think, you know, who wanted it to happen could could easily do that obviously you, you hope that john dorsey is putting mm-hmm. more more thought and research and, into right. it than just kind of fan service but but it was right. like this conspiracy theory and all of a sudden it happens and i'm wondering how much antonio Brown's situation had to do you know with odell beckham and and you get those quotes coming out of new york about how they, they saw him being a problem potentially at some mm-hmm. point like right. they didn't want him to become antonio brown right. where he's not showing up for a game and, and just causing more disruption than, than they felt Adele was doing to begin with. So it it was weird how it all came came about. It was it was like, well, it could happen, it makes sense, but could that really happen? And then it does happen. And and now when you look back, you're you're kinda of looking for kind of looking for reasons why maybe you miss the, the obviousness of it.
0: Well, you know what? Really, like like we have said, all the signs were there and mm-hmm. John Dorsey was ready for that moment when it came time to pounce. He laid out five scenarios that he Mm -hmm. could use. Okay, so they had five different trade scenarios that they could have presented to Dave Gettleman. Now, I don't I've been told that Duke Johnson was not a part of that and or at least was not it was not brought up Mm -hmm. and neither was Emmanuel Agba, which means if they were involved in any of these five scenarios, they never got to that point. Apparently, now all five had the number 17 overall pick for this year in it, and then some other things. Again, Duke and Emmanuel never came up, which means maybe scenario one and two were just enough to satisfy the Giants that they didn't have to keep going down the list. But this was something that had been in the works uh, behind the scenes for a long time, but the timing had to be right. Last year, when I started writing about it, it wasn't time to get Odell Beckham Jr. They weren't ready for one or, one or two of the final pieces of the puzzle. It wasn't, they weren't there yet. Then, after he signs his blockbuster extension, it's not time at that point because the Giants had way too much money on the books last year to actually realistically be able to trade him at the trading deadline last year. It had to be this year. And then, when Odell you know, expressed his unhappiness publicly on ESPN... That's it. It was basically a deal breaker for them, I think.
2: Yeah, and you know, this time last year, you mentioned it wasn't right. You know, they hadn't even drafted Baker Mayfield yet. You know, they had just traded for Jarvis Landry. Um, There there were still so many things that that had to happen, but it just shows that trajectory, that that willingness to go for it, even though John Dorsey said they weren't going to go for it. um, That 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 understanding that this is the opportunity you've got to seize it and, and it's what he did in kansas city too you know mm-hmm. he took over a 2 and 14 team in kansas city and they were contenders every single year this guy doesn't mess around right. this, this guy is aggressive gets after it um you know we'll see how everybody kind of meshes and uh and and plays together under all this something john dorsey likes to do is acquire a bunch of talent and let the coaching staff sort of sort it out and mm-hmm. and figure through it but um yeah, this is this is an exciting moment for Browns fans to see their team finally as the team making a bold move and not the team out there acquiring draft picks and taking flyers on guys like, like Jabril Peppers.
1: Another thing that could have uh, fueled this is the fact that the Giants drafted Barkley number two overall last year. Mm-hmm. If they take a quarterback last year yep. and they start rebuilding around them, they're probably going to keep Beckham because they wanted to give that yes. young quarterback a good target. Absolutely. But they get Barkley, so it Seems as if they're going into last season thinking, all right, we have a superstar wide receiver. We still have Manning. Let's give him a running back and see if we can make another run at something. And obviously, it didn't work. So now they're in a situation where they they're keeping Manning, but they got to be thinking more towards the future. A lot of people are expecting them yeah. to draft a quarterback. So you you get what you can for for mm-hmm. Beckham, and you kind of not that they're going to go full Browns tear down to the studs mode, but I think last season's lack of success. Probably yeah. had a lot to do with this.
0: Yeah, I mean, if they draft Sam Darnold, you yeah. know, this it is might be a, different. a whole different ballgame. <laughs> the other thing about this to remember, and this is a very, very key part of all of this. Dave Gettleman and John Dorsey are really, really good, long-time friends. Goes all the way back to 1982 when John Dorsey worked high school football camps for Dave Gettleman. Mm-hmm. Way, way that far back. They've been good friends ever since then and became much better friends when they both became personnel executives in the NFL. They're close. They're tight. And if John, it's about relationships. The NFL and deal-making and all this sort of stuff, it's about relationships. If anybody was going to have the inside track to trading for Odell, it was going to be John Dorsey. And again, I think part of the reason they kept Adam Henry is for this very reason. Everybody else on that Hugh Jackson staff gone. Adam Henry stayed. And so did Dwayne Walker. But for the most part, I think that had something to do with it, too.
2: Okay, let's talk about the other news uh, from last week. Uh, one of the other pieces of news was we finally got an answer on Kareem Hunt. Uh, suspended eight games. You know, speaking of going for it, the, the guy went out and signed Kareem Hunt. <laughs> right. Um, so Kareem Hunt suspended for eight games. So that puts you right around the end of October. We obviously don't have the schedule in front of us. Um he, so, we're going to have a video coming out on this in a few days, but for either of you, do you think this impacts the Browns' decision-making as far as Duke Johnson is concerned?
0: Well, I would think that the fact that they're going to be without Kareem Hunt for half the season means that if they can, they would like to hang on to Duke Johnson. Because, again, he's not expendable yet, as we heard from John Dorsey. Uh, if, there, if he had been only suspended for you know four games, maybe six games— Maybe he'd be a little bit more motivated. But right now, they've got a very inexpensive, valuable piece of the offense that can catch passes out of the backfield, that can play running back and do all those sorts of things. And unless someone makes them an offer that they cannot refuse, and they fielded calls about this in the past week. There are interested teams in Duke Johnson. But unless somebody offers something really good, and by that I mean a third-rounder or a second-rounder, they are not budging on this. They don't have to, and they won't. They'll sit tight, and they'll wait. And when he is expendable... Uh, You know, when when push comes to shove, when you get closer to the trading deadline, then I think they will try to trade it.
2: And and, and Scott, I mean, I don't think they're getting a second or third rounder for him right now. But, uh, you know, does this change the equation as far as trading Duke for you?
1: I think that they they had to have this plan all along. You know, when they made the move for Hunt, they had to have looked at the scenario. They knew that that Hunt was going to be out at least six games and, and most likely half the season. So I don't think... Maybe for the fans it's changed the way they think about it. But for, for the Browns, I'm sure they're sticking with the plan they had all along and they were kind of anticipating this. Um, the, the thing is, we, we talk about Duke Johnson as if, if as if he's go, his role is going to be equal to Kareem Hunt's. And I don't know if that's the case because I would have to think that they they would have plans to use Kareem Hunt in ways that yep. they don't use Duke Johnson. That's true. Because, you know, as we talk about every year, you know, they got to get the ball to Duke Johnson more and, and that never seems to happen. Nope. know the only way Duke Johnson is going to really be what people want him to be is if he's getting 60 percent of the snaps on offense and that's never going to happen with the Browns he's going to have to go somewhere else that where they're building more you know uh, of an offense uh, with him as a bigger part so I don't see that as a a certain trade-off I think Duke is kind of like your insurance policy uh, until until Kareem Hunt comes back and then all bets are off I think you know not necessarily that they'll move him but uh, I think his role is, is going to be greatly diminished. Kareem Hunt's the best running back on this team. It, when he comes back
2: and he's back on the field, he's the best running back on this team. And that's no disrespect to Duke Johnson or Nick Chubb or anyone, but.
1: At least the most accomplished.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the most accomplished, I think he's the most skilled. He can catch the ball, he, he's the best run. I mean, maybe Chubb is a little more physical of a runner, but, you know, you look at the numbers Kareem Hunt put up in Kansas City and they're. Absolutely insane. The issue with Kareem Hunt, of course, is the off-field stuff. And as, Mm -hmm. you know, as we're seeing now with Kansas City dealing with the Tyreek Hill situation, you just don't know how long you're gonna have these guys when you take these chances on on players with backgrounds like this. So you know, I, I think certainly when Kareem Hunt is ready to come back, Duke Johnson becomes the odd man out. It'll be interesting to see I think he compliments Nick Chubb really well, but it'll be interesting to kind of see who the The quote-unquote starter is in in that situation after, say, 12 weeks after Hunt's kind of gotten himself settled in a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out because, you know, now you have, when Kareem Hunt gets back, you have two workhorse backs in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. But like you said, Dan, and like we have pointed out here before, is that you never really know the long-term future of a person that is in the situation of a Kareem Hunt. I mean, Mm -hmm. For, from every single report that I have read on Tyreek Hill over the past you know year or whatever, uh, he was on the right track, doing all the right things, model citizen. And again, he hasn't been charged with anything yet. Mm-hmm. He has not been charged with anything, and maybe he won't be, and everything will be fine, and this will be have been some sort of misunderstanding. But here you have Tyreek Hill, who for all intents and purposes, everyone thought he was rehabilitated from... Violence, and now, now we don't know yet. And Kareem Hunt has been suspended not only for one incident in the hallway, but for another incident at Putnam Bay. And then there was another thing that happened in a nightclub in Kansas City that nobody could really sort of pin that down. Uh, so he's got to stay, according to what people have told me, you know, out of the bars, away from the alcohol, and away from situations that are triggers for him, and. Even between now and when he gets back midway through the season, who knows what can happen? There's a whole summer to go. There's Putin bay I mean, there's yeah, like, it's right there. there's Cleveland bars. He's in his hometown. He's in his hometown. So he really, ha- and he's young, okay? He's got a lot of hard work to do uh, before anybody can say that he's ready to be the model citizen the Browns expect him to be.
1: Yeah, Sheldon Richardson can tell you all about bad decisions when you're young. Right, you know, talked about driving in his Bentley, a hundred and whatever miles an 43. hour. Forty-three, yeah, one four three. He was having a ball, but he looks back now and, and knows how dumb that was. So you right. know, hopefully, Cream Hunt figures that out sooner. Yeah, and you know, the most nerve-wracking time for an
2: NFL front office is you know what Memorial Day weekend, mm-hmm. and then when that spring practice breaks, right up until training camp, mm-hmm. and you don't see these guys for six weeks, and it's there. I mean, it's their six weeks. It's their time because they're going to report to that facility and they're going to be there seven days a week and put in those hours in that time. But it is a nerve wracking time between the end of the spring program and and of course weekends too because they can't practice on weekends during the spring program. So those weekends, but then the end of uh, the end of mini camp and the start of training camp is a very nerve wracking time in NFL front offices, and it's going to be uh, for the Browns as well. This especially this time around, it's, it's almost like you know, it's not. The Johnny Manziel, Manziel, Josh Gordon stuff, but you still have that in the back of your mind now because you have brought in a player uh, with, with that history and his background of um, what happened at the 9, what happened at Putin bay uh, things like that.
0: Well, and I think it presents a unique set of challenges when you are in your hometown, trying to do this in your hometown, because you do have expectations. People, uh, you know, have longtime friends and relationships and, you know, nobody wants to turn their back on their best friends. I'm sure he has a group of best friends and I'm sure he wants to continue those relationships and you know things like that happen so he's going to have to make sure uh that he surrounds himself with people that have his best interest at heart but it's hard to change your friend group when you're 23 years old I mean he's 23 so you know it's the Browns are going to have to do everything that they can uh to help him uh the his teammates are going to have to help him he's going to have to be uh Maybe get to know Baker and Emily and hang out over at their house with uh, with, with uh, Richard Higgins. He, he says he's their son. He tells Richard tells me that he's Baker and Emily's son. Well, they're going to have to have another son in Kareem. Yeah. They're going to like have taco night three nights a week. So um, yeah, he's going to need some help from his teammates.
2: Yeah, and you know that's that's kind of the other thing though too. Like that's that's when his teammates are in town you know, I mean, these guys are all over the place right now. I mean, Denzel Ward who grew up in Northeast Ohio is living in Miami this off season. So, you know, these guys scatter when, when the opportunities come and they go to warm places and and they, they get out of, you know, wherever they are. Um, So that's, again, that's why those are such nerve wracking moments because you do lose that structure of having teammates around and, and having people that have your back. Now you are kind of with You know, some people that have maybe caused you problems in the past. All right, let's talk about expectations because that is the big thing Um, with Odell Beckham in the fold, Kareem Hunt when he's back. Um, Expectations are, I I think a lot of people would probably pick the Browns to win the AFC North today on a national scale. Uh, Their Super Bowl odds have skyrocketed. I know Browns fans are thinking AFC championships, Super Bowl. Their expectations are sky high. How high should the
1: expectations be right now for this team, Scott, as far as the Super Bowl, if they don't have to play the championship game against <laughs> Denver, I think the the odds are good you know <laughs> um no i you know over a week ago, we were looking at this team as a team that should make the playoffs. That was the kind of the goal, looking at five and three down the stretch, looking at how they changed so dramatically with Freddie Kitchens calling the plays um Yeah, they had questions about defense. You have a new defensive coordinator and you don't know how everything's going to mesh. But this team was going into 2019 with playoff expectations of challenging, legitimately challenging for the division title. Now, after the trades and free agency, uh, obviously in Las Vegas, it's skyrocketed. But I think they're, they're a definite playoff team now. I think they're a team that if they don't make the playoffs... It's, you look at it and say, "Wow, that was kind of disappointing because you had so much talent added to this team." And we still haven't even gotten to the draft yet. Mm-hmm. And, and and players, I know they don't have a first round pick, but you should get a couple players that that should be challenging for for starting spots out of the first couple rounds there. So, I think they. I wouldn't call them a Super Bowl contender, even though if you're in the playoffs, technically you're you're mm-hmm. you know a couple steps away from the Super Bowl. But they're a team that should be in the playoffs, and if they're not. That that's somehow a disappointment. That's kind of what they've jumped up for, at least for me.
0: You know, I, I'm going to say Super Bowl contender. Because I do think they have gotten to the point now where they can beat almost any football team. And like you said, they're not even, uh, you know, they, they haven't even gotten through the draft yet. So they're still going to add some players onto this football team. And they've got a second round pick. That should be a starter. You know, maybe even your third round pick is a starter. And, you know, there could be some still some trades coming down the pike. Uh, So I'm going to say, yes, this makes them a Super Bowl contender, because, again, if you can win the AFC North, then you should be able to win a playoff game or two. And anything can happen when you get to that point. So, yeah, there's some really, really good teams in the AFC. Now, again, Kansas City, if they're without Tyreek Hill and they already lost Kareem Hunt, you know, maybe that's a little bit of a different football team there. You know, you've still got Tom Brady, obviously. You've still got Ben Roethlisberger. You can never count out Ben Roethlisberger. You've got Philip Rivers. Uh, so you've got some really, really good football teams uh, that you're going to have to contend with. But I think they're almost up there in the conversation now. I mean, to have Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway should take a step up. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield should be much, much better in his second season. And, you know, Freddie Kitchens now will have his sea legs and, I just think that, you know, once they get there, anything can happen. So I'm going to say yes.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they belong in that that same class as, you know, like Kansas City has proven it. They got to an AFC championship mm-hmm. game. Yep. Obviously, you mentioned the Tyree Kill situation. We don't know what's going to happen there. That changes that team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they still have Patrick Mahomes. They still have Andy Reid. Um, the Patriots are the Patriots. You know, even if they started 0-6 next season, I would never count them out as, as a blue-blood type of contender. Um but I think you can put the Browns right now, even before they, they've really accomplished anything, you can put them in that class with, you know, that second-tier of teams, the mm-hmm. Chargers, the Colts, the Texans, teams that made the playoffs last year. You know, we'll see what the Ravens are. They, they lost a lot of guys defensively, and, and Lamar Jackson, we don't know what he is. You know, I guess you can probably put the Steelers mm-hmm. in that class, too. Kind of that next level of teams, that if they get to the postseason— Anything can happen, and the Browns certainly should get to the postseason. You know, I was curious. I'm looking at their schedule. I don't want to play the schedule game, but I think, I think there's some underestimation with how difficult this schedule could be. And we mm-hmm. obviously don't know what these teams are going to look like. You know, the teams they play in December are going to look different, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we saw that with Carolina this year. Play Carolina in September, right? It's different with the one the Browns played them in December this past season, but. You know, you've got the two Super Bowl teams, mm-hmm. the Seahawks. That's a really good football yeah. team. Yeah. Um. You know, even some of the other, like the Bills, you know, yeah, they should beat the Bills. But the Bills aren't a pushover either. The Bills won some games last year where you right. were like, they won that game. So <laughs> even some of the pushovers on the schedule aren't going to be necessarily super easy if if this team takes some time to figure things out. So, um, you know. I think we all kind of hate to make predictions, especially in March. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to play the schedule game in March too. But if this team can can get through some of those tougher games and win ten games, maybe get a playoff home game if they win the AFC North. Anything can happen once you get in that tournament.
1: Yeah, I, the thing I keep coming back to is how they finished last season, mm-hmm. and and they they beat the teams that were kind of falling off the cliff who are really going downhill and they obviously struggled against some other teams and Mm -hmm. they, they didn't show that they could beat a really good team down that stretch. And we're looking at Odell Beckham and Olivier Vernon and Sheldon Richardson and and that's great. Those are upgrades. The offense has tons of potential, but defensively we just, there's a lot of unknowns there because who is, is Kindred your, your strong safety and how do you feel about that? You know, he, he was the strong safety in 2017. I think he started ten games uh, and he was good enough not to be the starter the following year. Mm-hmm. so is is Avery your your answer at, at outside linebacker? Can he I know a lot of people were upset with Collins's play, but you know, is Avery the guy who will make a big difference there and and how will Wilkes uh, you know how will he put personnel in, in position to be successful? and does he feel he has what he needs? Is the defensive line going to erase? The problems that were behind it, you can't expect them to have the kind of turnover season they had last year. That's not something that you can do consistently. So, defensively, there's a lot of unknowns. Um, offensively, yeah, they, maybe they'll be good enough to outscore everybody. Um, but I think calling them a Super Bowl contender, I think for me that that's that's up too much, too much of a jump. It's
2: it's a very different game too when you walk out to Foxborough on Sunday night. Yeah. Now the good news is. Baker Mayfield has walked into Ohio Stadium on a Saturday night and mm-hmm. beaten the Buckeyes, and he's played in college playoff games. This, this guy's played in some big, big games, some tough environments in his time. But this team's going to have a target on their back, and, and that makes things a little bit harder.
0: Well, you know, I've long harped on the fact that they did not beat a winning team down the stretch. When they went 5-3, and three, they did not beat any of the winning teams, and a couple of the games uh, when they played against better teams, we saw Baker throw three interceptions in two of those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you guys know that I've talked a lot about that. They only beat one winning team last year at all. And also they played horrible defenses in that eight-game stretch in the second half of the season. Horrible defenses. But I think this is a completely different offense this year. So I basically am throwing out last year <laughs> because when you add Kareem Hunt and when you add Odell Beckham Jr., in my mind, that changes everything. It Those are big-time Pro Bowl superstar game-changing players added to this offense. Baker Mayfield threw 27 touchdown passes when he was throwing to a very inconsistent Antonio Callaway, Brashad Perriman, who was wildly considered a bust by everyone. Now you're talking about Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. taking all that pressure away from Jarvis Landry, opening things up for him. Antonio Callaway should be better in his second season. Baker will be better in his second season. Now you've got Todd Todd Munkin coming in, incorporating more of the air raid and the four verts and all those different kinds of things that, that he's going to bring to the table. I just don't think that anything that happened in last season is going to really apply to this season, and I think that this offense will be as good as any, almost as good as any offense in the NFL. And defensively, I think the Chiefs have shown that you can still make it to the AFC Championship game without a good defense.
2: And, I, you know, I wrote this today. Um, there's not a game that we're going to go into next season where we're going to feel uncomfortable picking the Browns. Right. Where you're, you know... the Sure, maybe it would be weird to pick the Browns over the Patriots, but you're not going to look at that and say, I can't believe you're picking the Browns in this game. Right. I mean, the last right. 3 years, even, you know, even last year before they started to to get some wins together it was like you're, you're picking the Browns. That was like a headline if right. you picked the Browns. So th- that kind of shows how far this team has come, that there's not a game on this schedule. And like I said, there's some tough games. This yeah. schedule is tougher than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's still not a game where you're going to feel absolutely crazy for, for picking this team.
0: Yeah, not at all. I mean, I'm telling you, and I think it'll come together very, very quickly because all you really have to do is plug in Uh, Odell and and then Kareem the second half of the season when it's really important down the stretch and and I just think it's going to be lights out I mean I I can see Baker throwing 35 40 touchdown passes without any problem
2: it is, uh, what's the date today? March 18th. We just recorded a podcast, and we did not do a single segment on the draft.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wow. So good for us. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> I know there's a lot
2: of draft junkies out there that maybe don't love that. But for us, mm-hmm. we absolutely love that we have barely even touched the draft yeah. in this podcast. Who knows? We might not until the last week of April. Talk to, us, talk to us Thursday night of, uh, of the first round. We'll, yeah. we'll preview the second round of the draft yeah. then. All right, so for uh, Mary Kate Cabot and Scott Patsko, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Dan Lombie, we'll join you again some other time on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast.